Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer, dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. We are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fear, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. The book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, and you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Apostle Arkady had given the title of his word, Called to Perfection. This promised commandment is written in the book of Matthew and it is presented to us in the series of sermons of Pastor Arcadi and is the inheritance of saints of all time and it is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. And here we should highlight the fact that despite the fact that this word is given to us through the book of Matthew and through Pastor Arcadi, these two people are apostles because God could commend his word, his book, New Testament, his letters to be written only by a person who is in the status of an apostle, apostles and evangelist, apostle, pastor. So people, apostles, who contain the whole essence of the fivefold ministry. They are prophets and they are evangelists, pastors and teachers. And they can take their command under the revelation of the Holy Spirit who can, allow, who can help them work in certain spheres. They could be prophets, teachers, or evangelists. But the word always comes from pastor, that's our apostle. When we read Pastor Arcadi or our Apostle Matthew, does this person represent the fatherhood of God? Then we can also add to his name Apostle Pastor or Apostle Evangelist. What's interesting 
we have noted is that this is a commandment. This is a commandment that, that was, this was not an alternative that could be used. This was not Christ mocking us, saying, you can be per try to be perfect as my Father is perfect. No, He didn't mock us. He commanded us to be perfect as as your Heavenly Father is perfect. This is a commandment. And we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person, expressed in the ability to clothe our essence into the holy, or rather, the selective love of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. According to this passage, the rule of the peace of God or the rule of the righteousness of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If we are clothed in the selective love of God, and we will be clothed again in this selective love. And the character of this selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues. These are all written in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2-8. through eight. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. And we have noted that each individual virtue of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another, and verify the authenticity of one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God, and they are given to us through Christ, whom we must become enriched with. And to enter into the inheritance of these virtues is possible only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, in the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And by inheriting these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. And therefore, in virtue, we define the source of good, that the source of good is God. And when we defined the source of good, then we can move on to self-control, to knowledge. So this knowledge, the knowledge of this, of what is called good and what is called evil, the third quality, self-control, allows us to select that which is called good and reject that which is called evil. Patience, the fourth virtue, allows us to look at all of that which God calls good and wait for the fulfillment of it with patience. Godliness is the fifth quality. It allows us to continue to sanctify our dedication in order to depart from evil and continue to choose good. Like one pastor says, we need to continue to sanctify our dedication. This is grace for grace. Grace for grace. This is high mathematics involved, a high formula. What does it mean to sanctify? To take yourself away, to separate yourself in order to sanctify, to give yourself to something, meaning to God. 
I do this with great labor and energy when I give myself to God. Now, do not forget that sanctification doesn't go anywhere. Now, it's necessary for you to continue to be sanctified in order to keep your dedication. If you had have gotten up on a high mountain and overcome it, now you have to keep yourself upon this mountain. You have to sanctify your dedication and this then brings us to brotherly love where a person goes from death death to life and in this atmosphere brotherly love is our coronation the seventh virtue which is love the selective love of god expressed and the unearthly virtues and characteristics has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance selfishness and inconsistency and apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. With this, it is the fruit of the selective love of God in the format of the seven virtues that is called to help destroy the power of death in the face of the old man in our bodies and replace it with the reign of the resurrection of Christ in our bodies in the face of the new man created by God in Christ Jesus and to clothe our bodies into the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. And so it was necessary for us to answer four questions and we have stopped to talking to talk about the love of God that is expressed in brotherly love because love is an it is an abstract word when we say brotherly love it always has specific forms and leads carnal Christianity into discomfort they want to talk about the love all forgiving love but when we're talking about brotherly love this is a word that is uncomfortable to them it turns out that the one I must love the one that I must stoop down to yes there is a love of these kind of people People. And when I do this, through this is defined the love of God, agape. And so what does scripture say about the origin and essence of the fruit of virtue that we are called to demonstrate in our faith? Second, what purpose is the love of God, agape, that flows from brotherly love called to fulfill in our faith? Third, what condition is necessary to fulfill to demonstrate in our faith the fruit of virtue? And fourth, by what signs should we test ourselves for the presence of the love of God, which flows out of brotherly love? And so today we are going to continue to study the first question that sounds like this. What does scripture say about the origin and essence of the fruit of brotherly love, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? And speaking about the origin or the source of brotherly love out of which the selective love of God flows, it follows that it flows from the following components. There are seven total that pastor has offered us, seven components that we must know, and this is a minimum. But this is the bone structure of it. It's the minimum, but it's a skeleton. It's the bone structure that then holds everything else. So where does the selective love of God flow from? Where is it flowed from? Or flowed out of? First, the selective love of God flowing, flowing out of brotherly love in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules is defined as the goodness of the Heavenly Father and is the hope in our heart that does not disappoint. Romans 5.5 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
So it turns out that our hope is not going to disappoint those promises that are found in the future. We are going to take them. We are going to resurrect them. We are not going to be disappointed because the love of the Heavenly Father has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit into our hearts that is given to us as the Lord and ruler of our life. The word flowed out of or poured out of. It's interesting that on all these places of Scripture, it's going to talk about how the love of God is poured out, how it flows out of. We're going to talk about this word goodness. The word goodness, uh, uh, some people don't understand it because good is only God. The love of God, agape, no one has ever seen it. We don't understand it, right? We don't understand the love of God, agape. In order to understand it, these clouds in heaven that are higher than us, they must turn into rain and pour out upon us. And when they are in the format of rain that is poured out, this love of God, agape, that I completely do not understand when it is in, in us in the form of rain that has been poured out and when my land produces fruit, then I will understand the love of God, agape. That's why we're going to talk about how the holy selective love of God is poured out from heaven and becomes for us understandable. In a certain format, it is poured out and it can be found present in our heart. While it's in heaven in clouds, we're not going to understand it. What are we going to receive from this? We need these clouds to pour out from the Holy Spirit upon my land so that my land can produce fruit. And when I produce this fruit, I can then uh, correctly appraise the love of God agape that is in heaven. Now the love of God agape is also found in my heart in the atmosphere of brotherly love. And therefore, Romans 5, 5, now, hope does not disappoint. So, meaning all those promises that are found in the future that are, we have taken and that are at the door of our hope, they're not going to disappoint. We're going to resurrect them. Why? Because the love of God the Father has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us as the Lord and ruler of our life. We should be well aware that God, God the Father, represented in the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit, by His primordial nature, is good. This is, again, that quality that no one understands because no one has ever seen God. But He, the Father, is good. And good is God. And therefore, the goodness of God is the virtue of God, which pours out from God in the unconditional nature of God's selective love God. So, goodness is poured out through virtue. Through virtue, we can understand who is good. God is good. Jesus said, uh, to Jesus, they said, oh, good is a teacher. He says, stop. Good is in relation to the Father. I am a carrier, and I pass along the goodness of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the carrier, and He passes along the goodness of the Father. The goodness of the Father is found in heaven. And here it is written that the goodness of God, the Father, is given to us in virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is that which we see on the cross. Do we want to see the heart of the Father? God says, okay, I will show you the heart of the Father. Look at Golgotha. This is virtue. And the Son, the Son that had died and risen for us, this is that goodness of the Father that expresses itself. This is the goodness, holy, transcendent goodness of God that is found in heaven. It became known to us through what? When goodness has been transformed into virtue. We see on Golgotha what God has done, the good deed, and now goodness begins to be understandable for us and it is poured out. And therefore, the selected love of God, agape, being poured into our hearts is the virtue of God in which He shows His soul 
children the perfection and kingdom of his peace, just as he had shown in Golgotha in Christ Jesus. And therefore, goodness is poured out and is showed to us in the work of God so that we could understand God. Why does God show us his goodness and his virtue? Why does he show us his good deeds? So that then we, as his children, in our turn, could demonstrate exactly the same love in our faith, both in relation to God and in relation to each other. And therefore, this quality, goodness that is unknown to us, good is our Father, He poured out through the Holy Spirit, He opened to us the essence of Golgotha, the virtue of God, for what? So that we can now demonstrate goodness toward Him, love toward Him in our hearts, and love toward one another. And therefore, the unconditionality of God's selective love is the goodness of God prepared and directed by Him exclusively to His children, which reveals itself in our hearts in the hope of in God, hope in God. When I saw his virtue, I accepted it. Now we receive hope, hope in which we will not be disappointed. This is the goodness of God in my heart that then begins to produce its work. The goodness of God that has been transformed into the virtue of God, it has ended up in my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now in my heart, we have, in our heart, we have hope, hope in God. And therefore, the love of God as the perfect goodness of God and the virtue of God poured into our hearts from the atmosphere of brotherly love can reveal itself in our hearts in the hope that we are the addressees of His love created by Him for the good works that He intended us to fulfill. So take a look here. In order for us to fulfill the good deed that God has intended us to fulfill, goodness to transform into virtue, to virtue to transform into hope, and then when we have hope, hope that is not going to disappoint, then God says, now you are prepared for every good work. And first of all, such a good work or deed that we are called to fulfill is our hope in the promises of God that are built on the fundamental foundations of hope. So now we begin to demonstrate this virtue of God. We must have hope, hope that is built on the f fundamental foundations, on the teaching. We should know that the totality of all the promises of God, all of these promises are served and aimed at the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. And they all are directed at the adoption of our body, this one promise. All the promises that are given to us, they are servants and aim to fulfill the only promise that is at the door of our hope. This is to prepare us to meet with the bridegroom. This is to adopt our body through the redemption of Christ. And if we have not accepted the calling, which consists in the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ, or the reign of the resurrection of Christ in our bodies, then all our good deeds, and especially our activities to evangelize the world, will be incriminated to us as the commission of evil. And secondly, the good deed that we are called to fulfill is to show in our faith such love for each other with which God loved us, forgiving us all sins. Take a look here. First, this is the promise that goes from death to life. And here, second, he says, now you must have brotherly love. Why? Because we love the brethren. And be, from this, we know that we have gone from death to life. The fact is that the good or goodness of God poured into our hearts and the dignity of the love of God which finds itself in our hearts in a kind of hope that does not disappoint can be meaningful and known by us exclusively in the atmosphere of brotherhood. 
This promise could be known by us and meaningful to us exclusively in the atmosphere of brotherly love in our heart that is inherent in the body of Christ and is expressed in our good relations with each other. If God has given us this promise, this gives us joy. This, this means that we have this atmosphere of brotherly love among us. And this speaks of a lot. If you noticed, then quite often a certain category of pseudo-good-doers neglect the saints and their local church who are close to them or those who are in the field of their calling. And in every possible way, they try to squander themselves on those for whom they, in fact, are not responsible for. Furthermore, also, quite often, such pseudo-good-doers have absolutely no ability to distinguish good from evil. For this reason, they call evil good and good evil. They turn everything upside down. What is the true virtue of God expressed in us as? The true virtue, since we have accepted the goodness of God, the goodness of God was poured out to us through the virtue of God. This virtue of God then created the wonderful atmosphere of hope in our heart. Why? Because there dwells brotherly love, and in brotherly love, God gives us the promise that lays at the door of our hope. And now, what does the true virtue express itself? Now it must begin to work in us. It must begin to work in us. This is the promise. In order for us to keep it, it must continually be uh, laboring and working. And therefore, a true virtue, true virtue and the dignity of the love of God reveals itself in the good quality of the soul. And on the one hand, is expressed in the active pursuit of good, and on the other hand, staying away from evil. Now, this goodness we must place in our heart that He has given us, and we have accepted in the format of hope, in the format of the promise. And now, as we have read, now this virtue, this good deed, this action, this goodness of God in us begins to work on us. And how does it express itself? In our active pursuit of good, and on the other hand, staying away from evil. Furthermore, true virtue at work reveals itself in the good seed that is sown by the Son of God in the dignity of the earthly title, the Son of God of man. Matthew chapter 13 verses 37 through 38. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. So, Jesus Christ. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. In this case, by a good seed, we mean a person born from the seed of the word of truth who, through the knowledge of the truth of the cross of Christ, puts into circulation the guarantee of his justification in order to make a profit in the fruit of truth. This is virtue in action. We are talking about how God's love, agape, presented in the format of the goodness of God, has been poured out through virtue, ended up in our hearts, created an atmosphere there, and now this goodness begins to work there, begins to diligently work. The next definition of the true virtue in our heart. True virtue, nurtured from a good seed, lives and comes from a person's heart. Luke 6.45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Luke 6.45, for I know that in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what I good, what what is good, I do not find. So the selective love of God in us is expressed in fruits of goodness. Furthermore, true virtue comes from the instruction of the Father or from the good teaching transmitted by the Father that God has given.
Proverbs 4, verses 1 through 2. Hear, my children, the instruction of the Father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you doctrine, do not forsake my law. We are talking about how the goodness of God that He had must become our, our achievement, our belonging. But how? It is received from from virtue, and virtue is not just doing good deeds, doesn't just to do good deeds uh, to justify ourselves. We don't do the works of the law to justify ourselves. We do them in order to affirm the righteousness that we have received as a gift of the grace and redemption in Christ Jesus. And here he says that I have given you a good teaching give ear to the instruction of the Father and give attention to no understanding because I've given you a good doctrine. What kind of teaching is given nowadays? Well, uh, all kinds. That's why we have to only accept the good doctrine and not forsake the law. Furthermore, the true virtue rests and proceeds from a good conscience and therefore any virtue committed from the position of a defiled conscience is not a virtue. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, Having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So, our hope must not be uh, must not be ashamed. For this, we need to have a good conscience. Furthermore, true virtue in act, in our hearts, is never forced. It is kind-hearted. This is me who wants to do this. This is me who receives pleasure from this. I am told I must love the saints, but we must come to such an age where we voluntarily, with great love, act towards our, towards saints and toward brethren, and to do this with great desire. Philemon chapter 1, verses 14, Apostle Paul says to him, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, he says to his disciple, but without your consent, Philemon, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be a compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. So Apostle Paul knew that his disciple needed to demonstrate in his heart the goodness of the Heavenly Father. How? Because it was poured out in the format of a virtue. Now this virtue begins to work in us and it begins to lead us to voluntary service to God and to saints. Furthermore, a true virtue, or the goodness of God in action, expresses itself in obedience to those whom God has set as head over us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Sarah had obeyed Abraham, and we are children of Sarah. We are children. So scripture says, if you are her children, if you are her daughters, then you do good. Given that she had uh, she had submission, then you all must also have submission in different spheres, including the sphere of church and home. True virtue, furthermore, is the fruit of the meekness of our lips, expressed in our bridled tongue. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. So here we are. This is the first component about how the selective love of God flowing from brotherly love in the atmosphere in which the peace of God is poured out in our hearts. It is poured out through God the Father. No one has seen God the Father. He is 
good God. And in order to accept this goodness, it must be poured out or be transformed into an understanding material for us. What kind of understanding material? The cloud must become rain, and the rain must help me to produce fruit in my heart. And when I see this fruit, only then, through this fruit, I am going to be able to understand the heart of the Father. And we have seen uh, virtue in action in our hearts. But this is what is regarding the Father. It is poured out from the Father. The second one, uh, the second persona from whom the selected love of God flows, a selected love of God flowing out of brotherly love in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules is a substitutionary sacrifice of Christ for His church. So Christ Christ is the second persona through whom is poured out the love of God agape for his church. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 through 27. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And therefore, the Son of God loved the church in the face of only those people whom God foreknew and then predestined to be like the image of His Son and gave Himself up for them in order to redeem them from sin and death and to raise in their terrestrial bodies the power of life called to change their terrestrial bodies into celestial bodies. Romans chapter 8, verses 29-30 through 30, For whom He foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Everything begins from this uh, foreknowledge. And therefore, to determine the presence of God's love in our heart should be based on the reliability of your foreknowledge by God who finds himself in our heart in the revelation of eternal life. Has God foreknown me? Has God foreknown me? Has God foreknown you? Has God foreknown her? Has God foreknown him? This is possible to understand through the revelation about life. Life for man. If God has foreknown man, he has invested everything in him. And he places the revelations of life, of eternal life in him. Life for the spirit, the soul, and the body. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him against that we might live through him full complete life for the spirit soul and body through him this is whom god has foreknown and invested in his son all his treasures and the holy spirit thus the selected love of god the father which carries the eternal life of god is revealed important to our hearts by by jesus christ through whom god opened access to himself for all people including the people of israel Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 for through him we both have access by one spirit to the father the love of God manifested in the substitutionary death of the son of God for how oftentimes we must be foreknown 
How do we know that God has foreknown us? Receive the revelation about life. To receive the revelation about life is to be in the presence of God continually. To have the revelation about death is to have a revelation about the anointing without the anointer, about blessing without the blesser, about uh, salvation without the Savior. The love of God manifested in the substitutionary death of the Son of God for the heritage foreseen by God, reconciled and pacified through the blood of His cross, both early earthly and heavenly colossians chapter 1 verse 20 and by him through christ jesus to reconcile all things to himself by him christ jesus whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross and we must demonstrate the goodness of god for him to give us life on our part an indication in our faith of virtue and god's selective love in which the peace of god reigns is all that we do in word or deed to do in the name of the lord jesus christ giving thanks to god and father through him colossians chapter 3 verse 17. now we are talking about pay attention here uh, pastor gives a definition through whom the love of God is poured then he defines how do we define has the love of God been poured out into our hearts first thing that we define is that God will give us revelation about life well alright in, in this room we have very many people sitting and everyone is listening to this revelation we need to go a little bit deeper and uh, illustrate a few more details all that you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. From the definition of this sign of God's love in our hearts, it follows that if through obedience to the truth we allow ourselves to be sanctified by cleansing ourselves the words that are preached to us, our hearts will become the source out of which God's selective love will be poured out. This was the second source from whom the selected love of God flows. First one was the Father in His goodness. Second was the Son of God in His sacrificial sacrifice and her substitutionary sacrifice. And the third is the Holy Spirit through whom we acknowledge the, uh, the grace of God. Third, the selected love of God flowing out of brotherly love in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules is poured out not into some kind of atmosphere of emotions, but in the anointing power of the Holy Spirit, who yields the atmosphere of the selected love of God as well as the feelings of this love. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The category of infants in Christ, by virtue of their immaturity expressed in ignorance, in which, like the carnal category of people, they are carried away by any kind of wind of teaching and are not yet capable of accepting the Holy Spirit as their master. Those carnals they had rejected, but infants, they can't accept Him as Lord and ruler of their life. Why? Because they are infants. Those carnal people have rejected who up to a certain time must become perfect. And when a person needs to be perfect and he does not come to perfection, this means what? This means one thing, that these people have forever rejected the Holy Spirit as Lord and ruler of their life. They said in their life, do not lead us in to our bridegroom because only from the position of Lord and Master can he bring Rebecca to Isaac. 
And when a person does not want to leave his carnal state with this, he says, I do not accept the Holy Spirit. He is only a temporary guest while I'm still interested in him. Well, of course, the Holy Spirit is no longer interested in this kind of person, but he is interested in infants. Why? Because they have not rejected him. They just don't understand him. And therefore, they do not have the ability to have the spirit of power, love, and sound mind. So, uh, infants are not carriers of the spirit of power, love, and sound mind, and therefore, they do not have the ability to possess the peace of God and resist human fear in order to know the power of God's selective love, casting out demonic fear, and with a sound mind to follow the Holy Spirit into the land of truth. Psalms 142 or 143 verse 10. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Of course, he will lead us if he is the Lord and ruler of our life. From the definition of this sign of God's love in our hearts, it follows that the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit in the preached words of truth is determined not in some heady atmosphere of feelings, but in the anointing power of the Holy Spirit, who produces both the atmosphere of God's selective love and the feelings of this love. Okay, what could I have concluded for myself here? That the love of God is poured out also through the Holy Spirit, or the Son of God and the Holy Spirit, they open to us the goodness of God and are the guides to the goodness of God. And in this case, the Holy Spirit can cooperate with people only when they acknowledge Him as Lord and ruler of their lives. And out of their two categories among saints who do not acknowledge Him as Lord and ruler, first, these are infants who are given a chance, second, are carnal people who do not want to leave their, their infancy, although up to a certain time, it was time for them to do so. For them, He is a guest. And he then no longer wants to have any work with them. Fourth, the selective love of God flowing out of brotherly love in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules is poured out into our hearts through hearing the preached word of the messenger sent to us by God. Okay, so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and now the Word of God that is poured through His messengers. This is the fourth substance, where the goodness of God that is unknown to us is poured out in the format of love and virtue in our heart. And then it requires of us, uh, and requires this goodness to work, to produce fruit. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For all the promises of God in Him, yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. This divine principle first found itself in the book of Job. And if we oppose it, it begin to search for God and His promises, regardless of the recognition of the authority of the words of these people, we will inherit perdition. And our hearts will never become a place containing the promises of God. This means that our hope is going to be put to shame. What does it mean? What does it mean, a, a shamed hope of a Christian? This is when our hearts will not become the place that contains in itself the promise of God. This is hope that has been put to shame. And now let's look at this promise that God has uncovered and that promise. Job chapter 33 verses 14 through 28 about what about the fact that we must have the preached word through the messenger of God. And we are going to see in this book of Job 
that God can speak in many ways. But all of these ways can only slow us down for some time. We are still going to fall and perish. He can speak in pain, in dreams, in our illnesses, in order to turn us away so that we turn to Him and say, explain to me what is my mistake and what am I not doing correctly. And He is going to send an angel protector who will help us. This doesn't mean, Lord, answer me in a dream. No, in dreams, He can push you only to one thing, to the angel, to the to the instructor or to enhance your life for several days to slow down to give certain mercy and if a person does not gain understanding of, of his ways and that he must repent then he may perish let us take a look at what the book of job says about this this ancient book the most ancient one for god may speak in one way or in another yet man does not perceive it in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. In order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man, he keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed, this is when the dream did not help. Second, we don't see on this bed dreams anymore, but we begin to be ill. Uh, so man is also chastened with pain on his bed. The second chance God gives, and with strong pain in many of his bones, so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food. His flesh wastes away from sight and his bones stick out which once were not seen. Yes, his soul draws near the pit and his life to the executioners. But if there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then God, he, is a gracious to him and says, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Pay attention here. What does God lead to? First, he pushes in dream, go, go there, go. You have a mediator uh, who will teach you. No, I don't understand. Okay, well, then there, there's going to be pain in your bones. Go and ask. I want to save you. How else am I going to explain to you? Uh, dreams don't help pain in the bones. But here we come to the mediator, the one among a thousand who was clothed in the status and representing the fatherhood of God. And scripture says, God says, I will deliver him from going down to the pit. He has found mercy or I have found ransom for him. When we find the uh, angel mediator and we listen to him, then the body of this person is going to be fresher than in his youth. He shall pray to God and he will delight in him and he shall see his face with joy for he restores to man his righteousness. Then he looks at men. Take a look at how much God likes this. He is going to look at people and say, I have sinned and perverted what was right and it did not profit me. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit and his life shall see the light. This direct path of God's love to the heart of a person has always been emphasized in the sovereign right of a person. So here, in this place of scripture, is uncover the sovereign rights of men. To accept this decree of God in which he pours out his love in the heart of a person through his word, the bearer of which is another person, or to reject his word in that person through whom God speaks. Psalms 107 verses 19 through 20. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Okay, so again, God begins to speak. And he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word. 
okay, you need to bring them to, to, to tribulation in order to save them from calamity. Why? Because they didn't understand any other way. They called out when in their distresses and he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. The Word of God is the informational program of God, which can reveal itself and manifest itself exclusively through the programmable device of God, which is the wise heart of a person that finds itself in the wisdom of a person's tongue. Isaiah chapter 39 verse 8. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, At least there will be peace in truth in my days. If King Hezekiah would not have acknowledged the authority of the word of the prophet Isaiah, God would never send his prophet to save Hezekiah from his deadly disease. Furthermore, Psalms 119 verse 65, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. David speaks of the words that God sent him through the prophets of his time. And if David did not recognize the divine principle in which God gives his good to man, only through the recognition of the authority of another person's words over him, he would never be a man in the heart of God. But why did he become a man in the heart of God? Because God saw that he could acknowledge a person whom God has established over him. This person can be cooperated with, or uh, this person can have the goodness poured in him. Furthermore, if Naaman... The commander of the army of the king of Syria would not obey the word of the servant of the prophet Elisha. He would never have received healing from his leprosy. If the widow from Sarepta of Sidon would not have obeyed the word of the prophet Elijah, she could have never been saved from hunger when she left a small amount of oil in a jug and flour for one small unleavened bread. Take a look, she listened to him, and take a look at the wonderful result. Furthermore, if Barak, the son of Abinoam, did not obey the word of the Lord in the mouth of Deborah, the judge of Israel, God would not have no reason to save Israel from Sisera, the military leader of the king of Canaan, Jabin. From the definition of this sign of God's love in our hearts, it follows that the love of God, poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit through hearing the preached words of truth, is determined by the words of the messengers of God, clothed to the authority of the fatherhood of God. So this is the one through whom God pours out his selective love. Fifth component, select the love of God, flowing out of brotherly love in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules, is poured out into our hearts through the church that has the dignity of narrow gates in the face of a good wife. Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So it turns out that through the church, God pours out His goodness. And this is a very important a component as well where God opens himself it is as important as the Son of God the Holy Spirit and the words of the messengers sometimes people will say well what difference does it make what church we are found in no there is a big difference the goodness of God is poured out only in that church that is called a good wife this is in Proverbs Proverbs uh, Proverbs means a good wife narrow gates God's chosen remnant. In Scripture, finding a narrow gate is directly related to finding a good wife in the dignity of such a congregation in which the saints, thanks to their prudence and vigilance in prayers, 
have free and laid-back relationships with each other in which they stoop down to each other and bear the burdens of one another. If we do not discover and do not find these kind of narrow gates in the face of a good wife that meets the requirements of brotherly love, God will not have any basis to pour out His love into our hearts, and therefore we will not have any opportunity to test our hearts to define if the love of God, agape, abides in it. If we are not found in the church, in the church that coincides with the standards of a good wife of the chosen remnant of God, Saints cannot test themselves for the presence of brotherly love and the love of God, agape. Their churches might be filled with disco balls, football, basketball, pizzas, whatever else might be there, whatever other items might be there that they try to unite their relationships with with one another. Whoever is over 40, over 50 years, uh, pink people, blue people, meaning um, homosexuals. First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 17. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be prudent and watchful in your prayer. So be prudent and be watchful is a necessary factor in order to be to, to have correct brotherly love in this kind of church, to be prudent and watchful. And above these things, have fervent love for one another. So it's important to pour out love without uh, prudence and watchfulness because love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Serve one another with the, as the gift that he has received as good ministers or good stewards of the manifold grace of God. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, it is precisely on the degree of prudence in that our submission to the preached word or our ability to daily tune in to enter through the narrow gate will depend. So this is what is necessary for us to find a good wife, to find narrow gates, to find a good wife of the chosen remnant of God as possible through the presence of prudence. Luke chapter 13 verses 23 to 30 then one said to him Lord are there few who are saved and he said to them strive to enter the narrow gate for many I say to you will seek to enter and will not be able so he said strive to enter through the narrow gate for many will strive to enter but will not be able many will strive and scripture says that he who finds this good wife and the format of narrow gates he will find good for many will find but will not be able to when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying lord lord open for us and he will answer and say to you i do not know you where you are from then you will begin to say we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets but he will say i tell you i do not know you where you are from Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. The word to be tied to, or the phrase to be tied to, means to make every effort and all efforts to fight and compete. So to enter through the narrow gate, we must be tied to, 
to find this chosen remnant of God, the Church of Christ, the good church, we must use all our strength, all our efforts to fight and compete. And we know these qualities very well. The meaning of the phrase through the narrow gate in the original means through the narrow gate, through movement or penetration, through distributed action, through the separation of soul and spirit, through the mutual love for each other, through increased diligence with the Holy Spirit, and by completeness in the patience of Christ. So the phrase, when the owner of the house rises, means when the owner of the house starts to wake up, awaken, uh, raise, erect, and raise. When he gets up and he begins to, what he will do, he will close the door and people are going to come and say, open to us, we want to also enter. He will say, I do not know you. And in order to do this, scripture says, be prudent and be watchful. So to be prudent means to have a healthy or renewed mind. This means to have the ability to distinguish the pure from the unclean and the holy from unholy, to distinguish the signs of the times, to be restrained, to be chaste, and to be righteous. The presence of prudence in the heart is, in fact, one of the definitions and expressions of righteousness. And therefore, a person with prudence is a person with righteousness or a person who practices righteousness by being vigilant or watchful in prayers and by serving with fervent love for each other with the gift God has given us. While wakefulness or vigilance in prayers means being sober, to be vigilant, judicious and restrained. We cannot be vigilant or stay awake in prayer or be sober, vigilant, reasonable and restrained in our prayers if we are not prudent, even if we can pray 24 hours a day. So, we cannot be diligent in prayer if we do not have prudence even if we pray 24 hours a day. Connected together, prudence and wakefulness in prayers gives us the opportunity to dominate our emotions and lead them along. And as a result, serve one another. And such a combination on our part is the result of our rational choice and volitional decision. So when we have these two qualities, prudence and wakefulness, then we can be vigilant or wakeful in prayer. Speaking of prayer, we must always remember and always bear in mind that there are two main types of prayer, interdependent as well as nourishing and replenishing each other. This is a kind of prayer state and the kind of prayer exercise. And if one of these types of prayer due to our ignorance or neglect is somehow diminished, then the value of the other is immediately diminished and distorted. Apostle Peter speaks of prudent wakefulness in prayers, which most likely refers not to exercise, but to the condition or to the state. So prudence is the state or the condition of prayer. It should be borne in mind that the primary action is not an exercise in prayer, but a state of prayer. Not prayer itself, but the state of prayer, a prudent thinking that is renewed by the spirit of our mind, this kind of state that then begins to exercise itself in prayer. First, we need the state of prayer, then we need the exercise of prayer. An incorrect state in prayer turns our exercise in prayer into an abomination before God. A condition is the environment and atmosphere that conditions or yields the consecrated altar in the subject matter of the will of God in which our prayer is called to exercise or create. So our prayer is called to be 
in prudence. It is presented to us here as a sanctified altar because the prayer state determines our hidden motives or the altar for sacrifices, while exercise in prayer determines our sacrifice. That is why, according to Scripture, the sacrifice is sanctified and becomes holy at the expense of the purified and sanctified altar. And if our altar is sanctified, what does it mean, sanctified? Our, our altar is sanctified. This means that we have prudence. Our thinking is renewed by the spirit of our mind. These two components, our spirit and our thinking, renewed by the spirit of our mind, this means that our altar is sanctified and it now represents our proclamation, our prayer state, and then everything pure that touches such an altar will be sanctified. So, when I proclaim the pure word of God, then this word of God, this word of God begins to be sanctified and begins to be equal to the words of God. Therefore, a very important point here that our altar must be sanctified. I don't sin. Okay, great, we don't sin. But a sanctified altar is when there's truth in our heart and we, with this truth, have renewed our thinking. And we now have prudence. Prudence is the first sign that our altar is sanctified. And now, from this position, we take the good words, pure words, and we begin to pray. And when from the positions of this prudence, we begin to proclaim this word, our pure, good word of God, the good word of God becomes the holy word of God just as the words of God himself are and they begin to act immediately and then everything pure that touches such an altar will be sanctified if on the contrary our altar is not sanctified then we do not have prudence because our thinking is not renewed why is it not renewed because we don't have truth in our heart why do I need to have truth in our heart because I do not acknowledge anyone besides me my own intellect and if my altar is not sanctified then it does not matter what we bring on an unclean altar Exodus chapter 29 verse 37 seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it and the altar shall be most holy whatever touches the altar must be holy and therefore if there is no prayer state there is no prudence renewed thinking then it absolutely does not matter how correct the words we use in prayer will be because these correct or right words will pursue the wrong motives wrong motives of a uncleansed conscience. Sixth, the sign of God's selective love flowing out of the atmosphere of brotherly love in which the peace of God rules is poured out into our hearts of the good soil of our heart. So it turns out that our heart is also pouring out the goodness of God when? When we offer fruit. When we are these clouds, this ocean that is over us is transformed into rain, and this rain produces fruit. And through this fruit is now uh, the goodness of God is poured out. This was God the Father, the God the Holy Spirit, God in His Son, the messenger of God. This was the church, God's chosen remnant. And now here we see that this is us as well if our heart has fruit. Matthew chapter 13 verse 23 but he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold some sixty some thirty if a person does not understand the word so 
let's again I read uh, very quickly but again let us listen to these two two paragraphs really quickly if a person does not understand the word that he hears then this means that the soil of his heart is not good so of course someone says I don't understand pastor so forth but no take a look here you understand everything you don't need to say these things that you don't understand pastor and therefore such a person cannot be fruitful and the word that he hears and does not understand will not bring him any benefit again let's listen intently in this case by the ability of understanding the word that we hear we mean again we're listening attentively we mean a special state of the heart expressed in the ability of an inclined ear to receive and to store the word that we hear in the vessel of our heart therefore when people say oh you understand everything so correctly praise the lord well friends you i perhaps understand but i don't i i understand the truth uh, to understand the truth is how God defines have I inclined my ear and have I kept this revelation in my heart and have I not resisted it people say well I can't pass this along like you well I also can't pass it along like pastor take a look at how I do it why do I use my hands and my feet because it's difficult for me to pass this word along it's difficult for me to pass along this revelation so you have understanding and how is this defined if you have an inclined ear and you are able to accept and to keep the word in your heart you understand this truth and therefore a person who does not understand the word that he hears is a person who resists the words that the preached word in the mouth of the messengers of god because by virtue of his pride he relies on the strength of his own understanding people say well how how do you um, work with the Word of God? Do you begin to shovel right away? I say, no, I never shovel. I just wait. I just sit and wait. I just sit and wait. I know that uh, moving forward, pastor is going to begin to uncover and reveal and reveal. I have knowledge about what he is expressing. I incline my ear. I accept the Word. I never shovel the Word. I have already shoveled, I have laid a foundation, now I build. And in order for me to build, I don't need to shovel any longer. I simply sit, I simply uh, am uh, in awe of the building that is happening. When I'm given this rock, I will place this rock that I have, uh, that I will place upon this foundation. I no longer shovel, there is complete quietness in heart. We need to just wait. Lord, I thank you for this revelation. I know that if I'm going to shovel, I'm if I'm going to shovel myself deep into a, a hole, when each preacher oftentimes back in the day they'd, they'd come out and then pastor needed to come out and correct them and say all right well he had um mentioned an incorrect place of scripture an incorrect comment here and he would constantly come up here and come up here and and fix what we would say because when we begin to shovel we dig ourselves and we perhaps show one truth uh, aspect of the truth correctly and another aspect incorrectly and it turns out here we need to have a prudent heart meaning i have an inclined ear i have an ability to receive to accept and to wait for the revelation wait for a revelation where i'm not sweating i'm in complete quietness waiting for it to be revealed Field. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under 
Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, Go near and t- overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. So take a look here. Why did God present Philip to this one person? Because this one person was an adult person. He says, how am I going to understand if unless someone guides me? If you guide me, I will understand. Are you going to shovel there for long? No, he says, please explain to me, Apostle Philip. If Apostle Arkadi people say, if they explain to me, uh, if he explains to me the definition, I will understand it. I need to incline my ear, I need to wait, I need to accept it in my heart. And you have all of this, saints, then never be uh, sorrowful that you don't understand some truth. You do. You have a wise heart, an understanding heart, an inclined ear. Accept the word, and these are the parameters according to which God defines that you can bring fruit. Because uh, you might know the truth but live like Satan. You might not be able to uh, explain this truth correctly, but you live like a Christian. Because you have an under, you have understanding, you have an inclined ear, you accept the word, you keep it in your heart, and this allows you to live a holy life. And you have this. You have this. Based on the factor of the state of a good and uh, evil heart, Jesus in his time spoke the following parable. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Luke 6.45 The good treasure of the heart is the hope of man and the redemption that is granted to him by God, which he receives into his heart through the preached word of God's messengers and proclaims it as the faith of his heart heart. The evil treasure of the heart is a person's hope in the power of his own understanding and in ministry to God in which a person believes that if, in order to realize his salvation, he will need to distribute his estate or his life to inherit salvation. This state of the heart depends on the conscience of a person who is not cleansed of dead works by the truth contained in the blood of the cross of Christ, which is at the disposal of those who sell it. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 13 through 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? To do what? Again, to serve the living and true God. In order for the blood of Christ to cleanse our conscience of dead works, it is necessary to be taught through instruction and faith in what light God walks, so that, like God, we can walk in His light. 1 John 1, 7 But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So take a look here. In order for our conscience to be cleansed from a blemished conscience, this is what the blood of Christ does. And the blood of Christ does what? It cleanses us in the light in which uh, God dwells. Here it says that if we walk in the light in which in the light in which He is, then the blood of Christ cleanses us. The blood of Christ works only in His death. And now, 
you want to ask pastor, right? Where does this walking in the light also demonstrate itself? He also brings other places of scripture in which the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses our conscience so that it is not blemished. So walking in the light in which God walks gives us the ability to abide in brotherly love in which the blood of Jesus Christ receives a foundation to cleanse us from all sin. Through a person who is clothed uh, through the powers to forgive sins and to retain sins so in the atmosphere of brotherly love uh, we receive the ability to uh, walk in the light when we abide in brotherly love in which the blood of christ receives the foundation to cleanse us from all sin and this is where this is walking in the light john chapter 20 verses 21 through 23 so jesus said to them again peace to you he says to the apostles as the father has sent me i also send you and when he said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the holy spirit if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them if you retain the sins of any they are retained and so how are we uh, to get rid of a, a blemished conscience in order to lay the foundation of jesus christ on there we need to walk in the light how do we walk in the light when we have the atmosphere of brotherly love and where can we proclaim this atmosphere of brotherly love where we can repent our sins and be freed from a blemished conscience if we do not have the atmosphere of brotherly love then a messenger of God cannot receive our confessions because in many churches there is not even this understanding to go and confess sins they call peace the world to repentance but they in church they do not they're they're not called to repentance they say no we're going to uh do evangelize why does pastor constantly call us to the altar because uh this is the atmosphere of brotherly love because brotherly love allows the blood of christ to work where does it work there where there is life there is blood there where is light in the church of christ there is this call out to the altar and jesus said says, I call my sheep, not the healthy, but those that are sick. Uh, the Gentile came and said, come, uh, please come and heal my daughter. He says, okay, um, I will go and heal her because you have come to me and you are my children. And Jesus says that we can receive this cleansing of sins where? in that place where jesus was in the church remnant chosen by god furthermore walking in the light in which god walks discovers itself in the commanding teaching of christ it turns out that the commanding teaching of christ um, is god's light and if a person through instruction and faith has not clothed himself into royal garments of the reigning teaching of christ he can not only walk in the light but he also resists this light hebrews 6 1 through 2 therefore clothing ourselves into the teaching of Christ, let us hurry on to perfection, uh, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Why? Because this, this is that lamp that we turn to. Apostle says, okay, turn to it as a lamp that shines in a dark place. The teaching is the lamp. And if if there is light there where there is light there is always blood and if there is blood then it can cleanse my conscience from a blemished uh, conscience and make it able to bring fruit furthermore how do we walk in the light to walk in the light in which god walks means being righteous by the gift of grace to practice truth and being holy by origin to be sanctified revelation chapter 22 verse 11 he who is unjust, let him be unjust still, 
He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Let him shine still. Let him be holy still. This is where light reveals itself. Again, what have we talked about today? The sixth component. Sixth component, I will remind you. It is the select love of God is poured out in our hearts, the good soil of our hearts. So the love of God is poured out through the good soil of our hearts. So that the good soil of our hearts, for it to be good, it's necessary for our conscience to be cleansed and for it to not be blemished. And blood works there where there is light. And where there is light, there is the church. This is there where the confessions of sin is received. And the confessions of sins is received there where there is light. Furthermore, there where the teaching of Christ is, uh, this is where light is. And furthermore, where saints are righteous and when they are sanctified, this is also that light that allows the blood of Christ to continually cleanses us, to cleanse our blood, just like our blood continually cleanses us, cleanses and cleanses and cleanses us from from death and decay within us we need to constantly be in the light to be in the correct church to have teaching in the heart and to practice righteousness and seventh the selected love of god flowing out of the atmosphere brotherly love in which the peace of god rules is poured out in our hearts through viewing the creation in the world that god has created under the condition that man seeks knowledge of god so when we seek knowledge of god then looking at his creation, we can understand and feel how God's love is poured out in our hearts. We get up early in the morning and we look out after rain, how beautiful the sky is, how beautiful the clouds are, how people waited for this rain. The rain came and then after rain, there is sun in California. They're jealous of us. Florida is jealous of us with their mosquitoes because Oregon is flourishing. The flowers are flourishing. Yes, we have wonderful weather. And this brings us joy. Why do I say this? Because, for example, I got up early in the morning and when I saw, uh, let me see, uh, clouds and a blue sky and this green, uh, green trees and green forgery and this fresh air, I said, Lord, I thank you. We need to thank the master, the artist. need to thank him for his creation and his masterpiece because through his masterpiece uh, will be flowed uh, God's love and the peace of God in our hearts. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 For since the creation of the world his visible for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse if a person truly seeks god and the knowledge of god and the conditions of god then the holy spirit will begin to reveal before him the unconditional nature of god's selective love and the visible creation job chapter 12 verses 7 through 9 but now ask the beasts and they will teach you and the birds of the air and they will tell you or speak to the earth and it will teach you and the fish of the sea will explain to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this so here Job offers us through knowledge through knowledge of God to see the outpouring of God's love in our hearts just as pastor had beautifully written the love of God is poured out in our hearts by looking at the creation of God's chosen world uh, God's 
created world under the condition that man constantly seeks knowledge of God and dwells in the knowledge of God. And now, looking at the creation of God, the the creation of the master, his masterpiece, uh, looking at ourselves and thanking God for what we see and thanking him for what awaits us in the future. In a very soon future, there's a very wonderful words that are uh, worthy to be accepted. May be blessed in your prayers and let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful. We thank you for the great privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined, this place that you have selected and chosen so that your inheritance can worship you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love, agape, for your goodness, that you are the good God, that you are our Father. And we thank you that you have poured out your goodness. You have poured out your goodness through your Son, Jesus Christ. And that virtue which you have done and fulfilled on the cross. And we thank you that through viewing the feet of God, Jesus Christ, who gives us justification, who gives us righteousness, we can acknowledge your goodness, we can acknowledge your love, and we are able to penetrate into inaccessible heights and those fears which no one except for your Son and Holy Spirit have been before. And acknowledging your goodness, now the angels of God want to penetrate through this goodness that you demonstrate in us in order to understand you, that goodness that was hidden, but which today is revealed. And it was revealed to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Son. We thank you, Lord, for his sacrifice, for his blood that was spilled, for the truth about the blood and the cross of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness that you have revealed to us and that you reveal in us. We thank you for the source in the face of the source of your goodness in the face of the Holy Spirit who took from you and gave to us. We accept him as the Lord and ruler of our life. You have allowed us to leave infancy you have allowed us to challenge our carnal nature so that we could be capable of acknowledging in the face of the Holy Spirit the Lord and ruler of our life. We thank you, Lord, that we are your sons. We thank you that you have revealed to us your goodness through the word of your messengers, through your preached word. We ask you to not push us through uh, visions 
or through illnesses, but for us to demonstrate our obedience in our healthy bodies. We do not want you to run and speak to us once, twice, three times, but we want to today to hear your word, to incline our ear, to accept it and keep it in our heart. We don't want you to speak to us through illnesses. You might allow uh, illnesses, but although they do not come from you, you might allow them. But you use them in order to get to our heart, in order to lead us away from the pit. We ask you to turn to that arsenal that you have, to speak to us through our conscience, and to speak to us through your messengers. And if you need to, uh, to correct us and we are going to listen to your word and heed to it and let your inheritance be healed let it be healthy let your healing fill your inheritance may their bones be healthy may their bodies be healthy Lord may you fill with healing every cell of our body you have said that if we If we look at your creation, it will show us your, if you, you have told us that if we speak with our land, meaning with our bodies, we comfort it, we speak with it knowing that we do not express our pride, our own will, and that illnesses will not draw near our bodies as a method for God to get through to us. If something does come to us, some kind of illness, this is sent so that we can demonstrate our faithfulness to God and praise Him to fulfill the suffering of Christ in our body. But we don't want to suffer for our disobedience. We want to suffer and we are ready to suffer only for those sufferings which your, which your glory will follow. We do not want to suffer to be sick as a result of our disobedience and ignorance. Therefore, we speak with our land and we comfort our hearts and our, our land that we agree with, with the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And we call upon your divine healing for every cell of our body. And we thank you, Lord, that you do not use this method with us. We ask you to speak to us through our spirit and through your messengers. And we are ready, Lord, to accept their word and let healing fill the bodies of your saints. We thank you for the angel mediator that you have given to us and that you will turn us away from the pit we thank you for the great foreknowledge that you have predestined your holy nation. You have predestined us and for us to be your children, the sons of Jesus Christ. And you have revealed to us the truth about your life and about your resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that you reveal to us the great mystery that is contained and hidden from generations and ages and ages about the resurrection of Christ. Because you have found in the face of your chosen remnants, you have found your chosen remnant 
with whom you are interested in spending all of eternity. And we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have given for your saints, whom you have predestined, and to whom you opened the truth about life. We thank you for your new covenant that you have made with the new man, with our innermost spiritual man and we ask you that today our spirit along with our soul and body cooperating could save our soul and could adopt our body we thank you that our spirit is found in harmony with our soul and with our body our body comes to church our body is prepared to service our body joyfully goes to church our soul is filled with divine emotions with joy and brotherly love and our spirit firmly continues to hold on to the hope of the resurrection of Christ for the soul and for our body we thank you, Lord, for that harmony that you demonstrate in your saints. And our flesh, our body rejoices. We thank you for the joy of your salvation that has filled our hearts. We thank you for the joy of your salvation that fills our thinking and our emotions. We thank you for the joy of salvation in our bodies. May the Lord fill the joy of salvation with the joy of salvation every cell of your remnant. May your righteousness, your peace fill Fill each cell and each and every cell of our body and may it shine before your holy countenance. We thank you for the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that cleanses us from all sin. You have allowed us, Lord, to walk and to be found in the light. And we thank you for the atmosphere of light where we can be cleansed from all sin. You have allowed us to set aside our former way of life. You have allowed us to leave idols and gods that were in our former way of life. And you have allowed us, Lord, to renew or to be clothed in new garments in the robes of your salvation. We thank you for the robes of salvation. We thank you for your word, your word that we hear from this place. We incline our ear before the word that we hear. We accept it and we keep it and you call us wise and understanding. Now our inclined ear allows us to understand the times of the signs and to prepare ourselves in a coinciding way to meet with you. We thank you, Lord, that we have a wise and understanding heart that understands the truth because we are able to live according to that truth that we hear. And we thank you, Lord, for that word that you have prepared for us on Friday and on Sunday. We, with desire and with trembling, will wait for the revelation of your word. We are going to wait for it 
being found in complete divine peace and rest, knowing that when the time comes, you are going to open truth to us. And right now we are going to be satisfied with that word that we do have and proclaiming that word that has become the achievement of our hearts and our thinking. May your holy name be blessed, our Almighty Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and, in, and forgive our sins as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.